Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer our listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Well, welcome, and thank you so much for listening and all that jazz. Liz is going to do our actual intro and try to be Caroline for the day. Today, we're talking to Mark Williams and Nikki Papadopoulos of Mark Williams Design here in Atlanta. Their work has been featured in Atlanta Homes and Lifestyles, Southern Living, and other design magazines. They've participated in designer show houses, including the 2021 Kipps Bay Decorator Show House in Palm Beach. They've won numerous industry awards and were the finalists for the 2020 Southeast Designer of the Year Award. Mark is trained as an architect and brings his technical lens to the process of interior design. Nikki is an incredible interior designer and has been working together with Mark since 2004. Welcome to the show, Mark and Nikki. Thank, Thank you. you. Are all those facts correct? Please. They are. Okay. They are correct. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent research. Um, I want to know both your backgrounds is how I want to start, because I think that helps like people to know you better. And I always want to know more about people. And then we'll get into some good tips and tricks. Fantastic. Okay. Age before beauty, Mark. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, So I did, uh, you were correct, I studied architecture at Georgia Tech here in Atlanta. That is actually what originally brought me to Atlanta back years ago. I have a lot of family here. My mother grew up in Atlanta, but my dad was from Boston. So when they got married, we, my brother and I were raised in Boston or in the Boston area, I should say. And um, when it came time to choose an architecture program, I knew that I wanted to get out of the Arctic Circle. I love Boston very, (laughs) very much, but the winters are long and the winters are cold. And since I had family here in Atlanta and Georgia Tech had a really, really um, well-respected architecture program, I thought that would be the perfect match for me. So that's that's how I came to Atlanta years ago. Um, So I'm actually from Northern California. And my husband's family started a restaurant here in Atlanta near Emory called Athens Pizza about 45 years ago. Shut the front door. (laughs) I love that place. Continue. It's awesome. Yes. Everyone loves it. It is great. It is great. And the new one is great too. So he actually just opened another one. But so it was a lot easier to move the girl than try to move the restaurant. So I moved here um, to go to college. I went to what I don't think even exists anymore. It was American Intercontinental University over where uh, the Sovereign is now in Buckhead and studied interior design and realized that I didn't have enough information and I needed an internship, like some real life experience Um, because there's just so much that you don't learn in school. So I found my way to Mark and his previous business partner through a graphic designer friend who had done their logo and managed to just not get fired. Um, Because I wasn't doing it for school credit, I was just there and there was no end date and I just kept showing up. (laughs) So So free labor is what got you. Basically, yeah. 
So I just kind of kept coming to work and then I became indispensable, I like to think. So um, <laughs> I just kept coming back for more. I love and, it. Uh, let's see, Mark, it's been about 13 years since that company closed and we started Mark Williams Design. Um, and about four years ago, I became a partner in Mark Williams Design. So we've been together for 17 years, all in all. So yeah, Nikki, Nikki did start with the company as, as a, a very young kind of green. She was a student uh, coming a in part time mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and was able to kind of grow within the culture of the firm and grow within the processes of how we like to do business. Because of course, mm -hmm. different design firms go about their, their process in different ways. And I think where Nikki came in so young uh, and so, um, so fresh to the industry that she was able to see some of the prudence to how we approached our process and grew into that process and then began to enjoy that process. So uh, stuck with it. Um, I wanted to ask you guys with just recently how you have seen homes um, evolving for people, um, just things you, you're always putting in now or are always taking out. Mm -hmm. So, and it's funny because while architecture does sound like the more technical side and interiors sounds like the more emotional side, mm -hmm. that's not always true because uh, from both sides of our office, we honestly believe that the three-dimensional environments that we're assembling for our clients are emotional. They affect how you feel. They affect how you interact. They affect how you move through a space and move through your day. So all of these decisions aren't just about, oh, this is pretty, or, oh, I like this chair. The, those conversations come into play, but that's not the end of the story. It's how mm -hmm. does the overall composition create a three-dimensional space that your body occupies, your mind occupies, your eyes occupy, your heart occupies, and all of those things together uh, create a feeling for you. And when you come home, we want you to feel calm. We want you to feel relaxed. We want you to feel open to that environment because the world outside is so chaotic, especially now. And so that moment that you enter your home should be a deep exhale because you are home. And when you get back to your home and you have that deep exhale, uh, whether you live alone, whether you live with a pet, whether you live with a spouse, whether you live with a partner, whether you live with a partner and 17 adopted children, you know, uh, all of those different environments are, are improved by that deep exhale the minute you walk in the door because you're ready for the next part of your day. Or when you leave the house in the morning, you're not leaving all ramped up and stressed already. You're leaving from a place of readiness. You're leaving from a place of um, strength and optimism. So the environments that we create we want that's what we want to leave our clients with when they leave the spaces we create for them. I love the idea of creating spaces that that bring strength and optimism. That's really wonderful. And I know when looking at all of your work um, in preparation for this, I'm calming was definitely like something big that I wrote on here. Like your rooms are so calm. And it's really amazing to see the integration between the design and the architecture, because 
your rooms feel so fluid and they feel so thoughtful um, and everything has its space and no, no one thing kind of stands out where, where everything just kind of works together, both the architecture and the, and the interiors, which I think is just amazing. So it's great to hear how you both are working, working together on it. Yeah, no, nice. thank, thank you for that. That is really important to us. That, and that is how we think about every recommendation we make into a project. Are there specific things that, um, you know, that even listeners could start kind of doing in their own homes? Like something we should be looking at, you know, um, to make that. To make that calm space, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it kind of depends on everyone's situation. I mean, we we definitely work with a lot of, you know, normal people who go to work every day and have to pick up their kids in the afternoon or pick up their dog from the groomer or whatever. So, you know, everybody's got their stuff. And one of the things that we have seen and made ourselves sort of adapt to is finding a place for all of that to go and just looking at it truthfully and saying, okay, I hate going to the grocery store. So I have Instacart come every two days. Like, well, what does that mean? Where does it go? How do you get your milk delivered for your two-year-old and not have it spoil by the time you get home? Like, what is it that we can do to make it better? So just kind of across the board, I think the feeling of kind of letting go and purging things you don't need and really drilling down, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that makes you successful and efficient and effective in your life, whether you're single or a family of five, like what is it that makes you happy daily? What is it that makes those mornings when you're trying to get out the door easy? And how can we put that at your fingertips? Even if that means we're putting a coffee maker in your bathroom, because you know what? You want to get out of the shower and have a cup of coffee ready. Great. Have a coffee maker in your bathroom. Have your, have your, you know, face creams in a refrigerator drawer that's in the middle of your um, vanity. You need a refrigerator drawer for, you know, La Prairie to live. Great. We can do that. So kind of thinking through how we can make it better and how we can make it easier. And I think that's something everybody can do. Like really just sort of looking at your spaces individually and saying, I really don't need this. And this makes me unhappy or this slows me down and just get rid of it. And we talk about those things with our clients at the front end, because we mm -hmm. really, the front end of our design is really solution driven. It's not typically aesthetically driven. It's mm -hmm. not typically, mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, I love French provincial. Well, okay, that's great that you love that. But we have about five conversations that precede the conversation about your style, good, mm -hmm architecture, good design in our minds can exist in any style. And I think peacefulness, the simplicity that you were referring to earlier comes through those very initial conversations because we don't look at function and beauty as diametrically opposite. We really think, okay, now that we get all of the functional parts and pieces of your life, your day, which is very personal to you, okay, now let's get to work making that beautiful as well. And, uh, and one of the things that makes beautiful things peaceful is not making them so precious you're afraid to touch them. And if, if we created a space where if 
you slide that vase over two inches, the whole aesthetic is ruined. We feel like we failed because, mm -hmm. because the vase is going to get moved. The pillow is going to become unfluffed. The, the, the something is going to get moved. So we can't create something so pristine that you, that you are afraid to live there. So th these are all thoughts and things that we have during the design process so that on installation day, we already know about all of those things. We already know about your life and you and your likes and dislikes. So that on installation day, it's kind of a big unveiling of, of this is you. This is, this is for Welcome you. Home. Your space. Welcome home. Yeah. Yeah. I've no also noticed that you aren't afraid of big gestures, whether it's a statement lighting or chandelier or an enormous piece of artwork that, that kind of, sets the stage for everything else that's happening in the room. What's, what's your thinking behind um, selecting one big statement piece for a room? I mean, I think I, it, it kind of depends on like our vibe with the client. So I have to look back and, and remember kind of what, what we've presented to you, but you know, it's, if it's somebody who is a little bit more reserved, a little bit quieter, um, that statement may just be fabric. We may put it in the drapery and do something either really large scale pattern, but neutral, or it may be a really large piece of art. Or if it's someone, you know, I've had several clients who challenge me, which I love. And they're like, I want more. I want more color. I want more pattern, like get it in find it, figure it out. And it's so great because sometimes I, you know, sort of second guess myself, even all these years later, but it's, I'm always learning and it's nice to be able to be like, I think I really like this. Is she, is she going to like it too? Maybe mm -hmm. we'll see. So, you know, it's one of those things where you just, after, you know, because of the way we move through our process, after having so many meetings and really getting to like feel these clients out and, what is it that kind of makes them work? And what is it that they're really mm -hmm. comfortable with? How are they dressing? What do they do for a living? Like, mm -hmm. tell me your details. I know it's slightly uncomfortable, but at some point I'm going to need to know, like when we're designing your closet, how, how many underwear drawers do you need? How many bra drawers do you need? So yeah. we're going to get personal. So it's just a matter of time and being able to like dig into their personality and kind of pull it out and say, I know that this may like be a little pushy, but you're going to love it. And you're, there's going to have to be a level of trust that mm -hmm. says like, okay, yes, you are a professional. I have chosen you for a reason. We are on the mm -hmm. same page. Like, you know, all about me. I'm going to take this leap with you, whether it's yeah. in artwork or fabric or really sculptural piece of furniture or something that's a little bit on the edge for them which could be different vastly from client to client. Uh, but that's why we're here is to sort of yeah. push them into a realm of possibility that maybe they didn't know was out there. Okay. What if I want to use um, something old or antique in, I want to put it in and it's an architectural element, not a old bench or something. It's, I don't know, a door. Mm -hmm. When does the client bring that to you at the beginning or is it something that you um, present to them along the way? And is it easy to do? 
I don't like my question. Oh, no. No, I like your question. Super duper question, actually. Yeah, no, it is a good question because it's a 50-50 response. Like, and Mark can get into like the technical part of it, but ultimately Mm -hmm. like, yes, it can go either way. Like if someone finds something, let's say they're on a trip and they sent, text me a picture and they're like, oh my God, I just saw this, you know, 12 foot massive door and I love it. And it's, you know. I don't know, 200 years old and it still has the original hardware and I want to find a way to like integrate it. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. It's beautiful. I'm assuming it's not hideous. So theoretically it's beautiful, but great. That's great. Let's figure it out. And that goes Mm -hmm. back to like Mark's puzzle brain. So I send it to Mark and I'm like, Hey, so-and-so is in, I don't know, South America somewhere and found this awesome door. Can we make it work? And he'll mm-hmm. figure it out. Or and then, then the Rubik's cube starts to move. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mark's Rubik's cube, like memory Rubik's cube, starts to work, and or it becomes a situation where maybe we do find something where we're like, God, that's so awesome, and it has such an authenticity to this project. Mm-hmm. Let's pitch it to them and find a way to integrate it. So it really can go either way, and it could even be as simple as. Someone saying like, look, I grew up in this house and it had this kind of molding and I love that detail and I want to find a way to like bring it into my new space. Like, how can we do that? Because it goes back to emotion, right? Like, Mm -hmm. even if you found this awesome door and we decide to use it as, you know, a sculptural artistic element rather than something that's functioning, you know, great, let's do it. Like it doesn't have to be something Mm -hmm. that is always, always has a function. The purpose of it or the function of it can just be to make you happy. And that's enough. It doesn't always have to, you know, turn a knob or press a button. Like that doesn't necessarily equal functionality. Back to Mark's point about sort of wellness and, and how Mm -hmm. you feel in your space. Like if you find something that you love, whether it's, you know, 16 doorknobs that you found at the Paris flea market that you're like, these are awesome. Great. We can find a way to use those in your upstairs. Like, Mm -hmm. great. Let's use these awesome doorknobs. Or maybe you take those awesome doorknobs and you say, you know what, in your family entry hall, we're going to mount them all on the wall as coat hooks together as a collection, as opposed Mm -hmm. to using them as doorknobs. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that even highlights their, their individuality and their character better than using them on individual doors sprinkled around your house. So there's, I don't want to put myself in the position of saying there's always a way because we have been presented things in the past where we might say, well, let's keep that under consideration and see how it feels in the composition as we move the composition mm-hmm. forward. Um, because, you know, simply saying no to a client never creates a happy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you have to find a way to say, let's work through this effectively. And my solid answer today is maybe. And, um, <laughs> and, then, and then that thing, even if it surprises me, I might have thought, gosh, never in a million years will I ever use that. But through the evolution of the space, there might be, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be cool over there? And, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it, it's absolutely an evolution with those things to that same point. Editing is a piece of that conversation. When someone is coming to the table with a collection of previous life held items, 
I, I will never tell anyone we can't use this. We've got to start from scratch. It's all about learning. It's all about moving things around, maybe using things in a different way. I had an initial consultation yesterday for a full um, condo renovation here in Atlanta in a tower. And her former style was a little bit more decorative and a little bit fussier than she is today. She came to me in this initial consult and said, my favorite designer is Axel Vervoet, which has nothing to do with what her place looks like today. <laughs> Polar opposites. But, and I very much appreciate that kind of Belgian chic Axel Vervoet look as well. So, you know, of course you begin to look around thinking, how can we utilize as much of this existing collection as possible because she has some beautiful things. Mm -hmm. um, but part of that collection is she must have had two dozen very decorative lamps, table lamps of all different styles from Ooh, cut crystal to the, to the jade lady in a flowing gown to everything like the, the, the blue porcelain vase turned into a lamp and everything in between one of each is, is basically one of each, one, one of each, one oh, of they're each. Not even pairs. Oh goodness. No. I didn't go. I couldn't go. Um, so, <laughs> And, and a lot of them have really wonderful characteristics individually, but she was saying, how do you think that fits in? And I said, we are going to develop this and it'll be an editing process mm -hmm. because if you look at the lighting in an Axel Vervoet project, it's very moody. It's mm -hmm. very deliberate. There are highlights and shadows. And then there may be one or two signature visible light fixtures, whether it's a lamp or, or something else that are highlights. But typically you see what's being lit. You're not looking at what provides the light. And all of her, all of her lamps were very, look at me, look at me right now, lamps. Mm -hmm. So there may be one or two or three of those that we can move throughout the space and really highlight them. So identifying her favorites should mm -hmm. accomplish the goal. And, and that's how we would think about your initial question. Very long answers, yeah. but a very quick, short question. No, I think that's a great, I think that's what we all want to do. I, again, we've all been in our homes. We've all collected stuff and even garbage and, you know, what has meaning and or what is functional and then combining it. And to your point, just not everything can be a star. And, you know, so how do you, especially when you're inspired by someone's work, how do you get there, you know, and use some of the stuff you have because everyone has something. So. Absolutely. Well, on that note, let's see if you can help this uh, design dilemma from a listener. Hi, girls. I love the podcast and look forward to Tuesday when a new episode comes out. I have a decorating dilemma that I would love y'all's help with. My husband and I got married and purchased our first house about a year ago. It's almost done with our main family room and I'm starting to move on to our dining room slash living room slash bar area. It's doing a lot of work there. Um, our home is about 1500 square feet. So we have to make every inch count. The space is about 11 feet by 20 feet. And I'd love to have the dining area and the lounge slash bar area. I don't know. I think yeah. I read that wrong. Okay. No, you could. Um, we do not have a table in our kitchen. So our dining room serves the purpose of everyday meals and more formal occasions. I love tr a traditional look, but hope to add some more modern touches to make it seem a little more fun. 
In the pictures, please excuse the very makeshift setup we currently have. The only items that will stay are the dining room table, china cabinet, and dining room chairs. They were my grandmother's, but I plan to have them painted to break up the wood tones and have re recovered in a fun fabric. And the recently lacquered bar cart, I love the classic shiny black. Um, we need a new couch, coffee table, lounge chairs, art, etc. Okay, so then she has three different questions. So I'm just going to start with the first one. Maybe we can go there. Okay, um, hold on, Liz. We oh. have you have to describe the room. Oh, yeah. just, oh, yes. So, Let's describe. So, the room. Yes, it's a it's right. Lie. As you come in her front door and you look left, she has a, what would I would say was a traditional dining room space that she now wants to break into a little place where you can have a drink and one side and then her actual dining where you'll sit down and eat mm -hmm. and the channel cabinets off of there. So it looks like a long rectangle with a big opening um, with a soft curve at the top of the opening. Mark, help me with the technical term here. It's like a weird arch. Okay. I think probably <laughs> segmented arch. Segmented it's not arch. A real arch. The, the, segmented the closest, arch. The closest Perfect. word I could come I told you to. I'm significantly more abrasive. <laughs> and so um, on the front of the house, by the on the door side, is a just regular window, maybe a bay window, with, a the bay window. with a yeah, sofa underneath bay. it. Mm -hmm. with um, And then... Near the sofa is the black lacquered bar cart. And then she has a 60-inch round dining table um, on the oh. in the other section. Do you think it's about 60? Um, with four dining chairs that she's going to redo and one dark wood glass cabinet with her china in it. Did I describe it enough? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's one big room that's doing a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back to question one. Okay. So question one. Get back there. Okay. What do I do about an area rug? I like the idea of a larger rug, natural fiber type filling the whole room and then layering a vintage ushak in the bar area. The space is not a standard size though. So after taking advice from y'all, I went to a carpet store to see how much it would be to have a carpet cut and surge to size. And it was much more expensive than I was expecting to achieve the look I'm hoping for. Another idea I had was to get two natural fiber rugs for the two separate spaces and then still layer another Ushak rug in the bar area. Mm -hmm. The cost of this would be significantly less than the custom cut, which would allow me to spend more money elsewhere. You can see where I taped out this idea just to mock it up. And she taped out the floors. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty amazing to kind of understand the space with that. Um, do you think that would work? If if I do the two separate rugs, how much hardwood should, should, should show between them in the center of the room? And how much hardwood do you typically want showing around the perimeter? I know in the dining area, all the dining chair legs should be on the rug and it's okay to have front legs on the rug <laughs> and the back legs off in the bar lounge area. Okay. Wow. Rugs. Go. I love how Allie. she, yeah, she oh, wanted to make Allie. sure we knew, yeah, that she knew. Yeah. Well, no, that's awesome because it keeps us from from leading into those mm -hmm. basics that would have yes. been the first ten minutes of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Totally her, true. Her awareness of those things is fantastic and far more advanced. Good job, uh, Allie. Then good job, Allie, because yeah, that's she's been listening to this podcast. She knows <laughs> what she's talking about. Um, 
So yeah, so my first first thing, um, natural fiber in the dining room is always risky because of course those textures are deep and woven. And if there does happen to be a dining room mishap on a woven natural fiber, those dining room mishaps can tend to get real deep and real ruinous real mm -hmm. fast. Mm -hmm. Natural fiber is also a little bit harder to send out to be cleaned than something um, like a really high quality, uh, high face weight wool, um, which can typically be, be resurrected even after a pretty major, major circumstance. So not that we don't love woven natural fiber. They're a go-to for us as well. Um, so both of your, both of your solutions with a foundation of natural fiber, if you're confident that significant spillage in your dining area, um, whether it's one big one for the room or dividing the space with two separate ones, um, aesthetically, I really do love that idea. Functionally, um, the, the dining room natural fiber gives me pause for concern. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing I'll add to that, because I agree with you um, for sure about durability, is if you're going to go with two separate rugs, which I think is totally fine given the circumstance, there's also no hard and fast rule about how much perimeter area there should be. So whatever Allie is comfortable with is totally fine. Additionally, um, there's no hard and fast rule between if you were going to have a rug and a rug, like what is that distance between the two? Again, whatever generally you're comfortable with, whatever aesthetically she's taped all this out. So it's fantastic. She can look and say, yeah, I'm good with that. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that if this is your first home, you've been married about a year, I'm going to assume that maybe it's just like you guys and other friends for dinner so maybe we don't have to worry so much about ruining them, but it would be great if they could be a size that you could later translate to another room in another home. So I'm all in favor of cutting up some natural fiber and binding it beautifully, like maybe because it's less expensive to do two separate rugs rather than one large one, like maybe think a little bit more about the binding. Could it be leather could it be something more than just like a canvas edge? Um, something that you would want to take and move elsewhere. But again, what is the finished size? And could you maybe reuse that if it falls into like a typical size window, which is totally Googleable? <laughs> and, uh, you know, to that piggybacking on Nikki's point about uh, the pre-manufactured sizes, if you're doing two, if you can find a pre-manufactured size, um, to go into each space. It does make it a lot less expensive to replace that one under the dining table if you do have a disaster. You can roll it up, put it in the trash heap, and get another mm -hmm. one um, mm -hmm. if, if you're doing a pre-manufactured size and not doing a custom cut. Um, and, and I have in one of my own, a couple of condos ago, the living dining space was one big giant mm -hmm. space. And I did exactly what you are describing is the, the whole big space had one giant natural seagrass. Nikki and I tend to like seagrass, um, especially in those sort of dining-y situations because it's a smoother, waxier finish mm -hmm. that's a little bit harder to, to anger than like a jute or a sisal. Um, if you look at jute or sisal wrong, um, they, will, they will mark up in a way that can't be fixed. <laughs> 
So um, we love the look of jute and sisal. I don't want to make anybody mad. Um, but uh, but seagrass does tend to be a little bit more forgiving, and it's a little smoother underfoot um, if you if you like being barefoot, which less I do. Less stabby. Yeah, le- a little less stabby on the bottoms of your feet. That's, yeah. No, that's great advice. That is great advice. Um, okay, so, number yeah, two. Very doable. Yeah, I hope that helps, Allie. No, okay. that was that if was it good. Doesn't help. Email me. I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's question number two from Allie. Window treatments. We love the bay wind. But we love the bay window on the front of the house, but have some awkwardly placed small, tall windows on the side wall. What do I do about these to make them seem less awkward? Should I do panels on either side of the bay window and the small windows? Panels for the bay window, something else for the small windows? Help! Okay. So, yeah, so she's got the bay window that's just, the ledge is right above mm-hmm. the sofa. Yep. And she's got shutters mm-hmm. on there. Looks like my house. Um, I have shutters on all of my windows, and I we have a love hate relationship. Um, I Mark, I'm totally jumping in. Yes, because um, you live in a condo. You have like glass that looks You're out gorgeous. into yonder, like wall to wall. Hang it from the ceiling drapery. So yes, which I love. Here is what I did <laughs> because I have a weird like bay window situation in my dining room and I've had clients with this. So what I like to do, I'm assuming that this bay window looks out to Allie's front yard, given its placement and relationship to the front door. So what I would recommend is, you know, you have these shutters, so you don't need additional privacy. Mm -hmm. If you wanted it, not, I don't think it would be worth the expense. If you wanted it, you could do like a sheer Roman shade, which would just give you some softness in the actual bay window. But yes, I agree with you about doing panels, full panels, drapery panels on either side of the window. I would hang them probably about three inches down from your ceiling so that you accentuate the height that you have and you get some relationship between the vertical in the vertical plane just and add some softness. Maybe it's something that's patterned and a little bit more like exciting that could kind of contribute to the space. Maybe it's something that's neutral that you can move with you later on. I would just make sure that you do a piece of hardware that goes all the way across. So like the dead giveaway of like, Oh, these panels don't work and they're just here for look is having a piece of hardware that does not span the width of the window. So even though your drapery panels are essentially not functional because you Mm -hmm. don't need them to be given the shutters, you still want them to look like they are there for a purpose. So make non-functional drapery panels. You can do one panel on either side as long as your hardware goes all the way across. And I would start the leading edge of your drapery, which is like the edge that you would pull to close, like just inside that corner where your sheetrock turns to return to your bay window so that it's, it looks like it's supposed to be there for a reason. And I, yes, would do the same thing on the window in the dining room so that you can continue that vertical softness 
mount them the same height, do the same drapery panels. This one obviously could, you know, it spans that window and it it's not bay, so it doesn't protrude out. But I would also rotate your dining table so that all of your uh, table and chairs are kind of rotated 45 degrees so that it's not um, sort of a cross shape the way it is now so that you're not backing up directly into that wall where the window is or backing up directly into mm. the final cabinet. Like I would just rotate it slightly so that it's gotcha. at a 45 Yes, because she has four legs on her round table. So, yes, right. she has to actually rotate it versus a pedestal. Yeah, the table and the chairs. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I would note about what Nikki was saying with those those drapery panels, even if they're false, even if they're not meant to close, you want the compressed fabric of that drapery panel when it's in its open position to look thick and full enough as if you could pull it closed. Some Correct. people mm -hmm. just do very, very kind of flat-looking panels that you realize – that could not get pulled over an additional inch. You've got to make it look like you could close it if you wanted to, mm -hmm. even if it's not meant to move. The other key trick about installing drapery on windows such as these is let's say you want your compressed drapery panel when it's in the open position, the, the, the pretty part of the drapery panel to be, let's say 24 inches wide, 24 inches width of fabric, all ripply and beautiful and full make sure that your drapery rod above the window extends past the window casing by that same 24 inches on both sides. So when your drapery is open, mm -hmm. the leading edge of the drapery that Nikki was talking about, which is the piece that you grab when you want to close the drapery, is at the window casing, not covering up a whole bunch of glass. You want your windows to be very open and let the sun shine through. When people stop the outer edges of their drapery rods at the width of the casing of the window itself, then when you add the fabric, a lot of that glass gets covered. Mm -hmm. You want your rod longer on each side of the casing um, at, at the same width that you want your compressed drapery panels to be. So the entire glass window is fully visible and lets all the light in possible. Gotcha. That is amazing. That okay. makes sense. Yes. All right. Allie has a third question about lighting. There's currently no chandelier above the dining room table or wiring for one. Mm -hmm. There is recessed lighting throughout the whole room on a dimmer. Do I need a <laughs> chandelier? She's very clear about that. Do I need a chandelier for the dining area? I'm hesitant to add one because the dining room table does have leaves and it makes it it makes it so it's no longer round, but more of a rectangle with round ends. Okay. Mm -hmm. If we had a big party, the table would expand into the lounge bar area and then the chandelier wouldn't be centered. Is that weird? Hmm. That is a tough question. Um, so here's the deal with having a room that only has recessed lighting in it. When you have a, a can lights in your ceiling, that light comes down from that can kind of in a cone shape and hits the floor in a circle on the floor. Sometimes, depending on where that can light is, it can hit the wall as well. But if your lighting is provided exclusively with can lights, sometimes your ceiling plane can kind of go dark and murky and which never makes a room feel good. So um, I would approach it from a kind of a twofold perspective. 
if you look at the location of your can lights and maybe you have attic access above where those can lights are and you can add more. If you were able to really direct your recessed lighting kind of in highlights and shadows in a dramatic way to make that dining space really be deliberate and then maybe put a single hot spot down light on the center of your table to make your tabletop glisten, that could really kind of solve that problem for you because you don't have something hanging from the ceiling and you have hot spots all around the room. At that point, your dark, shadowy, moody ceiling plane isn't a problem. Um, if you think that that's going to be cumbersome and difficult to accomplish, you might look at an asymmetrical uh, ceiling uh, dropped lighting solution for over the dining table. I'll give you an example of a very luxurious fixture um, from a company called Apparatus Studio called the Lariat. And the Lariat you can drop, it has multiple drops. You can uh, drop them asymmetrically. And it that asymmetry that you're creating can look beautiful when the table is in its compressed condition or when mm -hmm. it's in its extended condition mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. not just a one single thing that's maybe a circle, the same shape as your table right at the center of your table. So being asymmetrical with that ceiling suspended lighting solution may help you um, in both cases where the table is in its regular everyday or when it's in its lengthened position. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the Lariat comes at a luxurious price point. It's gorgeous. Um, but there may be something like it that's available that can accomplish some of those same things at a lower price point. And the only no, that's other, a good point. Yeah, it is a good point. And, I, you know, looking at this, I'm literally thinking of the same light fixture. The only <laughs> other thing I would say is given the fact that Allie says this is their, really their only place to eat. There's no like eating in the kitchen, which is nice. Like use your dining room. Um, is that if you think that you're going to expand this dining table a handful of times a year, whether it's a Halloween party or Thanksgiving or whatever, Valentine's Day, I don't care. Um, then I would say do go, you know, sort of following Mark's logic, do what makes you happy for the other 360 days of the year. So if you really want a beautiful light fixture over your dining room, tie it into the rest of the cans. They're all on a dimmer. Everything will be fine and, and enjoy it. Um, the only other thing I would say related to lighting is maybe consider adding a little bit more portable lighting that would help the space feel a little bit more cohesive so that if you did dim down the recess cans, you'd be able to augment the lighting solution by table lamps or floor lamps, whichever you prefer. Um, I won't get into like where I might move things slightly differently, but you know, floor lamps go such a long way, especially once she puts in drapery, um, that having multiple light levels and mm -hmm. once she's got this fully flushed out with rugs and drapery, it really will feel like one more cohesive space rather than two spaces divided. So you know what, if, if on Thanksgiving dinner, when you have, 12 people over and your chandelier is slightly off center. Like who cares? 
we haven't been able to have 12 people over inside our house for the last <laughs> month. So like, enjoy it. I mean, yeah. my dining table has this almost exact condition, but also our house is slightly crazy. So I say like, work with what you got. If there's a chandelier that you love, that you think is beautiful, that you've coveted and you think works with your space and your house, you know, if it can't be sort of adjustable the way Valeria is, because the thing with that picture is like, you can mount to one junction box and then move multiple arms in different ways. Um, so it makes it really easy to elongate. But if you can't find something like that and you have your heart set on something, nine times out of 10, you're going to eat dinner at this table, eat breakfast at this table. Like I say, enjoy right. it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and yay, Allie, for having a dimmer. If we can, oh leave, this, if, if we can <laughs> leave this podcast <laughs> with any advice to people around the world, Preach. put dimmers on everything. Enjoy yeah. your light levels. Make it beautiful yeah. at all yeah. times of day. The best part is I feel like architects and designers know the importance of lighting and we've preached it. So I think that's why Allie was like, there are dimmers. Don't yes. worry. Yes. Yes. Yay, Allie. You guys had a whole podcast dedicated to your lighting <laughs> people, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I was like, please tell the universe. No, it was a good education. It yeah. was great. <laughs> that and now we know seagrass is king when in dining. FYI. Oh, if, you're, if you're doing woven natural fiber. If, yes. If you're if, doing woven natural yes. yes that's but true. we'd all prefer wool. A high lanolin content, heavy face weight wool is is a much safer, yeah. High, and high lanolin content. Lanolin, lanolin is the natural oil that that comes in sheep's wool, um, and the higher the lanolin content, the more resistant it is to like liquid penetration. Okay, so Allie kind of sums up her um, last question. Uh, which is really number four, but she doesn't yeah. label it number it's four. It's number, but yes. Um, do we, she likes her beautiful um, velvet sofa up against the bay window. Is there anything you would do color-wise in this room? Would you paint it? She kind of likes it light and bright. Any design thoughts? Uh, I she mentioned her. painting the chairs. Oh, yeah, no. I think that's a terrible idea. Um, it's something that... I, you know, once you paint it, you can't really get it back. Um, and so I'm always like, I always kind of look at that as a last resort. I think like a total, listen, like my mother-in-law, like we could have had these chairs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I get it. Like I'm on her page. Um, I, I worry about, the painted furniture trend, I think, is something that ebbs and flows. And I think that for a long-term solution that she would be happy with, go with just reupholstery. Because I see other version, like other pieces of this, or more chairs than in the photo. So it looks like there's six. So when the dining table's expanded, it can have six, which is great. Um, but I, I would hold off on the painting part and start with the reupholstery because I think she could be really happy with a really great fabric. And these chairs don't require a lot of it. So I think she could maybe like splurge there on something that's 
<coughs> excuse me, a little bit higher design, higher quality. Um, love the idea of performance fabrics just for durability as an option. And I will say one of the benefits, I know that there are some challenges to having sort of a large all-in-one living, dining, lounge sort of space. But one of the really advantage moments that she has available to her because of that situation is, as we've said a number of times, it's never about the object. It's all about the composition. Mm -hmm. So can she take that wood tone without painting it? And because of how she builds the rest of the composition, make that wood tone successful. That would probably be our first attempt. Now, that's not to say that, okay, we here are three attempts at making that wood tone successful, and none of them really are exciting. So yeah, okay, let's paint, let's do it. But, um, but the first try would be, let's put the rest of the composition together to try and really augment what right. this wood tone offers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is yes, we can do that. Sometimes the answer is no, but you gotta try. And tell Allie to call me, because I have other thoughts related to her furniture placement. All right. <laughs> We'll have Allie get in contact with us and we'll give her your email so that she can, um, yeah, she, obviously she's a lucky girl and has a beautiful little space. So totally. I will send her your, great. I want to go for dinner. Can I come right? over Allie? <laughs> we all miss people. And, but, um, where can people find and follow you guys? So I think we're pretty easy to find, especially on Instagram, um, and, uh, uh, Facebook. It's Instagram is at Mark Williams design. Uh, Facebook is Mark Williams uh, design. And Nikki is at Nikki Papadopoulos. So I think we're, um, we're pretty easy. You have all your work on there and it really is a great um, follow for people who, um, who love interiors and love architecture. So definitely follow. Yeah, please. At Mark Williams design at Nikki Papadopoulos. Come see us. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. And um, I'm looking forward to our dinner date. Um, we'll Great. just schedule that after this. Totally. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much <laughs> for having us. It's been a real pleasure. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating! decorating.